0: I've been a national park ranger for close to two decades. Protocols have changed a lot in that time. I write this just to try to keep people safe for the next time you venture to the big outdoors. Let me tell you about the last park I worked. I can't be too specific about the location for my job's sake. Anyway, we had clusters of campsites that we rotated annually. The idea was to prevent one group from getting overused and worn down, let nature regrow a little bit. The winter had just passed, and our big summer season was a few months away. I'm sent out to check the suitability of the campsites to decide which ones need time to recover, and which ones we can open up. Winters here are cold not too many people camp during the winter aside from rugged masochists and boy scout troops lead by people who believe they are rugged masochists i didn't expect to find much out of the ordinary the first site was clear and ready to go as i'm trekking to the next site i see what looks like some debris and junk down a ways in a river valley looks like some jackasses set up an unauthorized camp down there usually when that happens they leave garbage and smoldering fires. This is going to be a pain to clear up. I approach, seeing the telltale wreckage of what must have been one hell of a party. Poo scattered everywhere, the skeletons of tents still raised up. And blood. I stop, and time stops with me. Pools of blood are spread out along the ground, next to signs of something heavy being dragged into the brush. I pull my radio off my belt and pause. I then pull my Glock 22 out of my holster and rack one round. I'm a certified law enforcement officer, but I haven't had to use my gun in a long time. I quickly look around for any movement, then get on my radio and call in for backup. While I wait, I listen. Silence. Silence in nature isn't good. Prey get quiet when they sense a predator. I hope all the birds are being still on my account. I edge forward slowly, looking for anyone or anything. A shredded plastic cooler. A tent that has been annihilated, with more blood splashed on the walls and inside. People died here. I know it. You can't lose that much blood and just walk off. But no people. Shreds of clothes and a little viscera drawing all the goddamn flies here, but no people. I've seen bears rummage through camps and destroy anything that looked edible. There are wild hogs here that cut trails through the deep brush and are even more dangerous than the bears, but this isn't either of them. The devastation here, it's just too much. Some scourge of God came through here and just ripped everything to pieces. Finally backup arrives, and I'm sent to report to HQ. They even brought medics out here. I don't know why, there's no one here to save. One of the new recruits vomits at the scene. I'm glad to get the hell out of here. I get back and HQ is a buzz. Only four people work here, but calls are ringing, printers printing and the air feels electrified. The manager sees me and signals me to his office. He's pale, ashen looking with bloodshot eyes. I sit down by his desk and he goes to the door and locks it. I've never seen him lock that door. He asks me what I saw. I tell him uninterrupted. He looks even paler afterward and his hands tremble a bit. There's a very long pause and I expect more questions he doesn't ask any. I leave, then hear the door lock behind me. After a few minutes I hear him call someone up, and a long low conversation ensues. I never see him again. Word comes down from on high. We're assigned a new manager, one who excels at what he calls crises. His first order of business, a controlled burn of the unauthorized camp and the sites closest to it. I'm not arguing, I watch the smoke rise in the distance and pray that's the end of it. New orders, relocate the existing campsites closer to HQ. Before we do that, we stake out a few trail cameras at the new locations just to make sure it's not in the middle of a nesting ground. We put up a few cameras pointed at the hog trails through the brush for good measure. A couple days pass, and we go out to collect the footage. The new manager takes it all and starts studying it in his office. A couple hours into reviewing, he freaks out. Starts screaming and yelling. Gets on the phone calling up the line spitting more obscenities. He spends the rest of the day and that night in the office, calling up specialists and planners. Next morning I show up for a meeting. Manager doesn't look like he slept. Massive changes afoot. He lays out our new plans including massively bright lampposts circling the park border as well as floodlights around the ranger station campsites need to be moved even closer in clear lines of sight from the light if possible i butt in telling him that defeats the point of going camping if you're just going on a short walk through the grass then setting up so close you can see the parking lot he tells me to shut up that it's just the start. The park now closes at sundown, sharp. Also, we're now required to have a long gun on our person at all times. Now it isn't uncommon for rangers to carry an AR-15 or a Remington 870 shotgun going out in the deep woods. There are wild and rabid animals out there. The real concern are massive pot growers. These aren't your chill neighbor who hides a few plants behind the tomatoes. They run the spectrum from large-scale suppliers who like their privacy and dislike law enforcement to anti-government crazies who think we have no right over them, the true patriots. Both groups have a few common points. They tend to be well-armed, they do not like lawmen, and they won't shy away from taking a potshot at some dumb poor ranger who finds himself in their fields. Keep in mind Elliot Ness, Mister I fought Al Capone and one got scared off busting up Appalachian moonshiners because they constantly sniped at him in the foothills. They shoot to kill. Those are the reasons we keep the big guns around. Not routine patrols. I drew the short straw and got the overnight shift. Manager tells me more changes to protocol will be listed when I return. Overnights used to be easy. Monitor the radios, bust up the parties if needed, check for poachers if they're operating nearby, make sure the forest doesn't burn down. I clock in and per instructions, go to the gun cage. My, things have changed. Our shotguns have new rifled barrels, so they can handle the solid slugs we've been issued. That's the kind of firepower you want to take down a charging bear, God forbid you ever need it. The R15s have been stepped up too. The old 15 round magazines have been replaced by 30 round ones. Someone even snuck us in hollow point rounds. Makes no damn sense. Shooting in the woods you need full metal jacket ammo so the rounds don't go wild when they touch a twig. Hollow points just exist to do more tissue damage. This is ridiculous. This is overkill. We're not a war zone. We don't need this firepower. Next to the radio, there are new instructions. Now we're not allowed to directly respond to emergency calls. We can reply, figure out what the issue is. Then we report to a new phone number. I don't recognize time passes slowly tonight. I'm not even allowed to leave the building until sunup. A few uneventful nights pass. The new floodlights and lampposts are frying my eyes. It's so bright out there a blind man could see. A week later some kids roll into the lot. They grab their backpacks and start hiking up the ridge. I know what they're up to, no one has booked a campsite that night. Cheap young ones going on a camp out that will be a raging party. I wait for the sun to go down, confirming they're not out for a day hike. I call my manager to report. He instructs me to call the new number, I report up to them now. A curt voice answers the phone. He asks my park, then pauses. He asks the issue. Bunch of kids on an unauthorized site, do I go break it up? I can see their campfire out the ridge right now. No. Do not leave the building. Do not attempt communication that is all. Report if there are any developments. Right after daybreak the manager rides up. It's real early. Have you seen them? Did they leave? No, the car's still there. Let them rest, they're probably all hungover. He curses, non-stop. He then goes inside to make a call. I'm outside looking up the ridge when he exits the station one ar-15 in his hand another one strapped across his back glock on his hip he marches single-mindedly toward his car i try to ask him what in god's name he's doing but he isn't listening or responding he takes a jerry can of gasoline from his car and marches up the ridge i yell after him to no reply i consider following him but that doesn't seem like a good idea I go back inside and call the number. The same curt voice. The same direct questions. Yeah, the manager went up to that campsite. Armed to the teeth, and carrying gasoline. What the F do I do? Stay there. Do not interfere. Backup is inbound. Report if there are any developments. About the same time I start to see smoke wafting off the ridge two vans ride into the lot at a screaming speed. A dozen men, heavily armed and armored exit quickly. I go out to check. Who are you guys? What's going on? The men are all lined up with that impeccable military precision. One of them, a commander, I assume exists the vehicle last. He says, which direction did he go? I mean he's up there. I point at the increasing smoke. The men fan out and start jogging up the ridge. I hear rifles cocking as they leave. I try to shout after them, but no response. I look at the vans they came in. Large, nondescript. They just say DOI response team on the side. Half an hour later they return, dragging the manager with them. He is bound in zip ties. He screams, I did what needed to be done. Trust me. It's worse than they thought. We can't stop this. Burn it all. They throw him in the back and sedate him. The commander approaches me, my neck hairs bristle in cold fear. I need to see the office. All computers and anything with a hard drive is coming with me. He mentioned videotapes. I need those too. I unlock the doors and they ransack the place. Everything gets taken. Printed reports from the last few years disappear into those vans. The videotapes get bagged up and held by the commander himself. He studies the gun cage. Cute. You're out of your league. He scoffs. Finally they found everything they looked for. The commander tells me, call the number. Tell them it's contained. You need a new superior. Also, don't talk about this to anyone. They leave, and just on cue the fire brigade and a few news vans show up. The fire is contained, the news reports say. Rumors of missing campers are unsubstantiated at this time. Still the rumors alone are enough to scare of this season's campers. The quick change up of managers is chalked up to bureaucracy. The press dies down after a week or two. The new manager is very good at dealing with them. Thankfully, with no new campers and are now even shorter open hours, we can get more work done around here. Rebuilding the station took some time and we just set up the new campsites. They're practically spitting distance from the station. Nothing dramatic happens for a few days. Then on a whim, the manager tells us to set up some cameras around the station and the campsites. There's usually so much human activity around here all you see are some raccoons, maybe the rare hungry bear but we humor him and set them up all around. Couple of days pass, we collect the footage. I play poker with one of the rookies while the manager watches hours of footage of an empty but brilliantly illuminated parking lot. Then he gets to the footage around the station. Screams come from the office. We barge in and he's stamping on the camera hard drives, gibbering things I can't understand. Along the lines of, told me it was clean, safe. No recent activity. BS here I'm not gonna do it. He barks at us to leave. Later he makes a call. Rookie goes up to the door and listens in. Rookie comes back reporting, yeah, he's demanding a transfer. Says they lied to him. Something about they didn't do their jobs properly. He's not prepared or equipped here. Then I just heard the phone click, and some sobbing. Hours later, my manager exits the office. His shoulders are slumped, defeated. We cut our hours even further, practically open on weekends only. We'll have a full staff ready those days, but a skeleton crew the rest of the time. Campers are required to check in to one of the closest sites. No campsite and they're told to leave. We are not authorized to leave the station after dark under any circumstances. In an emergency, Do not call 911, call the number and do exactly what they say. We draw straws for who gets overnight shifts. Why we need to stay overnight if we can't do anything is beyond me. I asked the manager about it and he just said that standard protocol is to have someone on hand to report any irregularities overnight. I have to work my overnight shift. I keep my phone close, the number dialed in, ready if I need to call. It is a bad night. I just wind up pacing around with my shotgun, glancing into the bright floodlights, trying to see what's past them. I hear crickets, and it relaxes me. Prey is quiet when predators are around. It is a long night. The next night, my manager draws the short straw. He seems resigned. In the end, we all have to take a turn. He brings the brightest damn tactical flashlight I've ever seen. Said he bought it just because he's afraid of the dark. He isn't really. He's afraid of the things in the dark. I get a phone call at 3 AM. It's him. Get over here now. And bring guns. Wah? You have a damn arsenal. Now. Oh, I swear to God, I messed up. Oh man. I think they're attracted to the light. I called that number and all they said was backup would be here in the morning. Oh god damn. I hear the piercing staccato of gunshots. A pause. More gunshots. Screaming. Scuffling. The line goes dead. I call the number. A new terse voice answers. Look I work at X Park. I just got off the phone with X. I just spoke with X. What can you report? Something bad happened. It's serious. I heard gunshots. We will have backup there as soon as possible. Did he say anything else? Yeah, he said he thought they were attracted to the light. Doesn't make sense to me. Interesting. Thank you for your report. The park is now closed. You will be reassigned. Goodbye. Click. Officially, the park was closed to be scheduled for a controlled burn, let the old trees die and make room for new ones. There was nothing in the official report about what happened to the manager on duty. The public understanding was bureaucracies need to be shaken up on occasion. No one asked any more questions. I get transferred to a new park, halfway across the country. Change of scenery and beautiful. They've got some odd rules here too. Don't go far after dark, and don't carry a flashlight. I'm concerned about why. Why can't you use a flashlight at night when you need one? They won't tell me. Be safe everyone. When I was a park ranger they were hiding something from the public behind a barbed wire fence. I'm a park ranger for a national park in the US and this story I'm going to tell you has been hidden for years by my superiors but now I shall finally bring it to the light. When I first got this job they were very straightforward with answering all of my questions until we were driving along one of the dirt roads. Off in the distance, I spot a barbed wire fence surrounding an area of land on the side of a mountain. What's that fence for, I asked while observing it from afar. The park ranger that was showing me around looked to where I was pointing and I could sense fear by the way his eyes slightly grew wider. He focused back on the road and said, that's nothing. Just a place to protect the wildlife and plants that live there from getting trampled on by hikers. His response made sense to me because I've heard of other areas being blocked off to protect the plants and such but his body language was holding something from me. However. I didn't want to be that annoying new guy so I just replied with, okay, makes sense to me. The man tightened his grip on the steering wheel as he stated, yeah just make sure to keep people and yourself far away from that area entirely. You know. To protect the plants. Feeling a sort of awkward silence between us I replied saying, will do, but if I may ask, what plant species are they trying to protect in the fence? The man's face scrunched up as he thought about how to respond. He then just said to me, you'll find out later what's back there but you haven't been here long enough for us to trust that you won't tell anyone about it so just hold your horses. After hearing this I slumped in my seat and listened to the rest of the tour of the area. When we got back to the ranger station everyone was welcoming me and introducing themselves and one man, in particular, stood out to me. He had sort of a Santa Claus physique with an especially white beard that had only small remnants of a grey colour to it. When I shook his firm hand he told me his name was Paul Geyer but he goes by Ranger Paul. He was the main one in charge of foreseeing this particular national park so he took me into his office to give me all of the gear that I would need along with a schedule. What made you want to be a park ranger kiddo? He asked as he signed some documents that laid on top of his desk. Taking a second to think about how to respond I then said, you know, I enjoy the outdoors and thought it would be both fun and interesting to be a park ranger. He looked up from signing papers and said, are you easily scared? This question caught me off guard and wondered why he was asking me that. Anyway, I knew I had to respond so I said, I'm not really scared of that much maybe bears. Ranger Paul scoffed after hearing this saying, bears? Bears are the least bit of your worries here. We lose far more people who've gotten lost in the woods than people who've been mauled by bears. He pauses and looks out the window as he continues, it's the woods you have to worry about. How many people go missing here a year? I asked, trying to avoid an awkward silence. Too many is all I can say. If it wasn't for that darn. Paul stopped mid-sentence and turned to me. You'll see, he muttered as the park ranger who was showing me around previously walked into the room and pulled me out, taking me to sign all of the required paperwork. As I was signing, I could barely hear him talking to Ranger Paul saying something along the lines of, you nearly told him what's out there before he even signed the non-disclosure agreement. The rest of their conversation got muffled after the door closed completely. I was honestly intrigued to figure out what they were hiding beyond that fence. After that, I took every chance I could get to find out as much as I could about it but no one budged on what they originally told me until I had worked there for about 3 months. That's when Ranger Paul decided I should know what was behind the fence. He pulled me into his office on a stormy day when we weren't checking if people had paid for their camping tickets and said, I know you've been interested to figure out what was behind that fence and you will but promise me that you will never tell another soul about it. I promised and he continued, you're not going to like what I'm going to tell you because it's quite anticlimactic the reason we have that fence to keep people out is that there is a stream of water up there that just pops out of the ground from some source within the mountain itself and flows for about 20 feet before it again disappears back into the mountain. I interrupted saying, that's really not that unusual, I mean it could just be a spring popping out from the ground. Paul raised his hand up to quite me as he continued saying, you're right, but that's not what's unusual about this the water. It flows. Upstream. It goes against gravity and all other forces of nature as it flows upward on the mountain for 20 feet. Perplexed and intrigued at the same time I said, really? If it does why put a fence around such a scientific marvel? People would come across the world to see it. Ranger Paul smiled as he said, that's what they first insisted on doing but, that place ain't right. It's cursed or something." I asked him what he meant and he responded by saying, most of the people who discovered went missing and were never found. Those were the lucky ones. For the ones that didn't go missing they somehow were morphed into deformed humanoids without the capability to speak. One, however, could slightly speak and all he said was, hell's entry. After he said this I knew he had to have been playing a prank on me to haze me or something but his expression never changed as he said, that water going against gravity is some sort of an enigma. The place is like the Bermuda Triangle. A sort of place trapped between dimensions. Crap like that. The government tried to study it but after losing half of their scientists who were researching it, they gave up on it, leaving it locked up behind that fence. As he went on I didn't know if I should have believed him or not because it was so outlandish of an idea. When the storm clouds moved out of the area, Ranger Paul sent me back out to check if people had paid for their campgrounds leaving me with this last sentence, don't ever go over that fence. A few days soon passed by after this and I couldn't deal with the explanation that Paul gave to me. It just didn't make sense and so one night I snuck out and decided to hike over to the fenced area. I took a pair of wire cutters to cut through the fence because I didn't want to try and climb over the bob wire that was wrapped around the top of it. When I finished cutting out a small hole I would be able to fit in, I brightened my flashlight as I heard the trickling of water. Following the sound, I soon stumbled upon the stream and its magnificent beauty. When I shined my flashlight at the water it was almost as transparent as glass. Ranger Paul was making the whole thing up when he said the water went backward against gravity. To my utter amazement, I reached my hand down into the stream and felt the push of the water towards the top of the mountain. I was elated due to how beautiful it was and wondering why anyone would ever want to hide something like this. As I was touching the water I heard something splash in the water and glancing over I saw a man crouched over on all fours with his back to me. Startled by the man's presence and wondered if he was lost I got back on my feet and walked toward to him. ''Are you lost, sir?'' I asked as I placed my hand on his shoulder. His head turned around to meet my gaze and my heart stopped. All he had on his pale blank face was a mouth full of sharp-edged teeth. Stumbling backward, I fell into the stream which felt strange as it tried to push me up the mountain until I pulled myself out. The thing didn't move at all but just sat there mumbling fragmented sentences. Freaked out I darted to where I came and the thing somehow sensed my sudden movements and inhumanly crawled after me. It climbed into a nearby tree and tried to pounce on me all the while I could hear it say in an uneven tone, save me. Hell. Gates. Freaking out I noticed that the ground underneath me was shifting and gravity was coming in and out. The world around me seemed to change back and forth but I kept in the same direction and saw the fence ahead of me where I cut the hole out of. It kept changing from a fiery cave wall back to the fence until I quickly made it there but it was a cave wall by then. There was no way for me to escape now until it swiftly changed back for a fragment of a second. Taking the opportunity I jumped through the hole in the fence and the thing tried to follow after me but didn't make it through. Its screams still keep me awake at night. After this ranger Paul later found out about it but didn't fire me on the spot. Instead, he said, after being in there, you're the last person on earth who would ever wanna go back in so I'm not going to fire you. He did instead gave me all of the crappy jobs for two months afterward. That happened around four years ago but still, I'm not supposed to be posting this story here due to the non-disclosure agreement I signed. I guess I just broke that agreement because I need to warn everyone that if you find a random area in the woods fenced off, Whatever you do don't try to break into it. You just might not make it back. Hello my name is Ashki and I'm a Native American who has taken over Park Ranger for my father who passed away from cancer. Our family has lived in this region of Tennessee for generations hell it was my great ex-four granddad who was the park ranger here in the first place so getting the job was easy for his descendants. When I was little my great granddad used to tell me bedtime stories of how him and his father used to go out into the forest and hunt down creatures not of this earth. I thought it nothing but tall tales and I just wrote them off it wasn't until I was 17 when I first saw something truly unexplainable. It was the middle of the night I had woken up to a loud crashing in the woods next to our house I looked out my window to see something terrifying. What I saw shook my perception on reality it appeared to be a gorilla but this thing was about 10 feet tall and had to weigh about 450 pounds it had monstrous hands and was covered head to toe in black matted hair but the most shocking thing was it was walking on two feet. Behind it, it dragged a gigantic brown bear this bear had to been beaten and bloody as if the thing beat it with its bare hands and dragged it as if it was a rag doll through the edge of the forest. Before went deeper into the forest it looked directly at me with its amber glowing eyes and in the moonlight I could tell that its teeth were sharp and jagged. I quickly ducked under my window seal but I knew it had saw me I didn't sleep that night I stayed up all night watching my window just to make sure it didn't come back to get me. I didn't tell anybody what I saw due to me thinking it being nothing more than a dream the next morning. But that changed when I overheard a conversation between my great granddad and granddad saying that they found a skull and a monster of skeleton of a giant bear 23 miles into the woods. That was two years ago I am 19 and I have taken up the job as a park ranger. Ever since I took the job at 18 strange things have happened. for instance last night I went out for expedition into the forest just to look around the area. I did this at a bad time because before I knew it. It was pitch black outside I was 10 miles into the woods when I noticed glowing red orbs watching me from the trees I quickly took out my rifle and took cover behind some fallen lumber when I heard a distinct humming noise that was when the glowing red robs multiplied into six. Jobins my father used to tell me stories of these creatures they are as peaceful as it can be, they are almost kind in fact. The humming noise was a song. I quickly plugged my ears because the song the sing will enable you to enter sleep, or if you're already sleeping you'll be unable to wake up. My father theorized that the frequency the give off lock your brain state of awake to avoid anyone from following this fate. I lit a stick and waved it around in the air to make them know that their presence was not needed here. And so they scattered glowing quite beautifully in the starry night. The other reason why I had to it was because not only could they put you in a coma but other let's say creatures of this region find the jobbins very delicious. And wouldn't you know it as soon as I was about to leave cover there was a rumbling coming from four miles into the woods. I put on my night vision goggles and spotted a bulldog bear. AKA the thought to be extinct short-faced bear. The short-faced bear was the largest and most powerful land carnivore in North America during the Ice Age. This thing must've have, have weighed about 1,540 pounds, and stood about 10 feet on 2 feet. It sported a deep red claw mark on its face and had teeth the size of steak knives and fur as dark as the night sky. I was in deep poo here. This thing could run circles around any horse. I had no chance of escaping or so I thought. Slowly lumbering toward the bear was a monster of a Bigfoot. This thing was about 8 feet tall. Wade could've weighed about 800 pounds and if you wanna know about Bigfoots know this and remember it well. They are very territorial. What happened next was a scene right out of a King Kong movie. The Bigfoot while beating its chest let out a howl of intimidation and the bear stood on two feet and roared a roar. That shook the forest and silenced any crickets or insects singing a nightly song. They charged at each other but before I could see anything else I booked it. I took one look back and saw the Bigfoot toss the monster of the bear through four trees. That only made me run faster. I made it back to my cabin at 0500. I stayed up that whole morning sitting on my couch with my shotgun and pistol loaded in my hand and pointing at the door in case the victor of that match was looking for a new opponent. The next day was when I got the radio call about the missing campers and hikers that have gone missing in my area of the woods. I packed my bags for a long tip into the wilderness expecting to find what was behind current of hikers and campers not coming back. I planned to hike 30 miles into the forest. On the first 10 miles I started to find backpacks ripped to shreds and tents reduced to nothing but cloth. I took out my pistol and started to walk further into the forest keeping my head on a swivel. 15 miles and I started to find body parts, arms and legs littered the trails but one blood trail stood out to me. I followed it about 3 miles into the woods and found a horrible sight. It was a man. He had been skinned alive and as I were missing, from what I could tell his legs had been broken and he had been crucified on a makeshift cross. He had been cut in the corners of his mouth to display a sadistic smile and he head had been held up by some sting to make it look at if you were looking at me. I slowly walked away from the man not wanting to get any closer. The thing that bothers me the most was that every time I turned my back to him I would hear a twisted child's giggle coming from the corpse. I walked further into the woods and decided to make a makeshift camp in a cave close by a water source so I could bath and possibly fish for more food. After two hours of fishing I had caught some meaty catches and prepared them. And cooked them on the roaring flame of my campfire. But even though I was concentrating on not burning the fish I could tell that I was being watched. I looked up from the flame and saw a man but it wasn't an ordinary man. He would be a man at first glance but as I studied him more I noticed his twisted features. He was tall and had long hair past his shoulders. His eyes glowed a bright yellow and his hands were massive with untrimmed nails. He smiled at me and his teeth were sharp and yellow as a stick of butter. He called to me a little lost aren't ya why don't you put out that campfire so I can help ya you find your way out in a raspy cigarette smoker voice. His voice was deep and I felt it in my bowels. I liked him in the eyes and threw down a log on the fire which made it roar and grow bigger and the creature let out a cry and stumbled back. Thank God I took the fish off or it would have been burnt. I thought why don't you just come and sit at the campfire with me I said as I patted on the empty place on the log. Next time while sporting a grin. You're a cool for coming out here this deep into the forest alone and I'll make you realize that sooner or later. The creature said in voice full of hate and then he left walking with an unnatural gait into the forest. I stayed awake all night keeping the fire alive and my shotgun loaded in my lap. I knew that if it had gone out I wouldn't be making it the next morning. When sunset came I went into my tent and fell asleep keeping an ear out for any noises. There have been stories of wild men roaming deep in the forest but to meet one is a whole different feeling of fear. I woke up at 1200 PM and continued hiking at mile 20. I had found an abandoned cabin. Nothing seemed to be wrong with it and when I went inside of it, It appeared to be normal and untouched. Besides being covered in cobwebs so I made base here. It was a small cabbie. Just one bed and one bathroom and a half kitchen I sat at the table and took out a field guide to the area and started to read up on the other creatures that could be lurking around here. It was night when I finished and heard a weird noise outside of the window. Thank God I had turned the lights off before it got to dark. Because right outside my window I saw an old man wandering the forest. I thought it to be strange that anyone besides me to be this deep out here. I wanted to open the door and offer to help but then noticed this was a very tall old man and was wearing the skin of a mountain lion on his back. And was dragging a human body behind him. He was walking towards the cabin. Man I thought I hid under the couch with my pistol in hand and threw my stuff in the bathroom and closed the door. He opened the door and slammed it shut. He was sniffing the air like a dog who smells food he knows I'm here. I thought but then he growled and just walked toward the table dragging the mangled human body behind him. I wanted to let out a breathe of relief but I knew that if I did he'd find me. He then threw the corpse on the table I was reading at and I started to hear sounds of gnawing, ripping and tearing. From what I could see he was eating the human body and when he was done he stood in the middle of the cabin and started breathing heavily. He fell on his knees and started shifting into a monster of a mountain lion. His once human hands turned into gigantic terrible paws with claws that could cut through diamonds. His fur was jet black with what appeared to be red stripes on the ankles. Of his massive mountain lion legs he cracked the wood floor of the cabin as he walked and when he roared he shattered every window in the cabin. He ran out the door shattering it into pieces and talking off into a tree deep in the woods. That was four hours ago and every since then I've been sitting on this couch in shock. Every once in a while looking at the poor camper's body. His poor mangled body the skinwalker had eaten every organ and it a left it a husk. I know what must be done but the question is do I have the guts to do it. Right now I've made a plan to take the skinwalker out but I don't know if I could possibly defeat something so evil and ancient. The stories that my family have told me of skinwalkers have made them seem like an unstoppable force of the evils of this world but there is a way to kill it. When the sun was in the middle of the sky I went to go find some wolfsbane. I then liquefied it to saturate my bullets in and sharpened and then coated my machete in it. I thank God my father for only using silver rounds and a silver machete for when he was in charge. But the cost must have been very expensive. I got my pistol and shotgun at the ready and I am hiding under the bed of the cabin. Everything's in place. I don't know if I'll make it but just in case I don't I'm gonna post this now. And it's good thing I'm posting this now too. I just heard the silver bear trap coated in wolfsbane. I placed in the living room go off and a roar of a creature that's not too happy that someone has found its lair. Part 2 Hello it's me again Ashki, now I bet you wondering how the hell did I make it out alive. Well I'll tell you. After the skinwalker had fallen for the silver bear trap I busted out from my hiding place and loaded it with the special bullets I made. But it still had fight and it It grabbed me and threw me through a window. I wrapped around a tree. I got my arm impaled on a sharp rock but I could tell that took all of its strength. Silver and wolfsbane are excellent for fighting monsters such as these. It drains their stamina and if they have a healing factor it's not longer able to use it. He then rushed me and with the branch I took out of my arm I swung it and it connected with its chin. Dazing it. After I got up I saw the skinwalker sluggishly crawling into the forest. I limped over and out a bullet right into its brain, but I knew that wouldn't be a definite way to kill it. I had to take out the heart and burn it on a fire or else it would come back for rounds after i did that it turned to dust and blew away into the night after that i exhaled deeply and limped back to the cabin closed and locked the door and passed out on the couch i woke up nine hours later tended to my wounds and headed back to my main base noting that this cabin could be of use in the future about 10 miles into my walk i was approached by hiker we exchanged greetings had a conversation and I even decided to let him walk with me. His name was Bach. After 10 minutes of walking he offered me some food. It looked delicious almost too delicious. I looked at it and looked at him and he was grinning. I then took out some silver powder and blew it in his face. It relived his true form of Bokwa. was offers ghost food out of cockle shells to humans stranded in the woods. If they accept and eat the offered food, then they too become a ghostly being like Bakwas. I pointed my pistol at the monster who took the form of a tall old man and threatened that if I ever saw him again he would die and he wouldn't have to be worried about offering food anymore. He took off deep into the woods to never be seen by me again and I kept walking. Finally reaching my cabin and retiring to my bed to rest. The next morning I got a call from an unknown radio signal about a strange sighting about a man wearing a moose skull as a mask. I took it to be a tweaker who found a dead moose and head out to take care of it. The location, the man was sighted was in an unmapped region of the woods so I thought it odd that he had gotten that far. As soon as I got there I found a hiding place behind a log and waited for him to come. About 10. 0 pm the man showed up in the moonlight i could see this was no man it was a wendigo this thing was extremely gaunt and emaciated with grayish skin sunken red eyes tattered lips and possessed a deathly odor a wendigo greedily feeds on human flesh however for each person it consumes The monster grows ever larger and this thing had to be at least nine feet tall with long hair reaching to the middle of its back. And sharp blood-drenched claws. It sniffed the air. It knew I was here. I thanked God that I had my shotgun. I then jumped out my hiding spot and lit it up with silver buck. Shot it. Scared in agony it sounded like a woman's scream mixed with an angry cat. It then took a small tree and hit me like a batter hitting a baseball. I flew 15 feet and landed on a pile of human bones. This thing needed to be killed if left alive it would go on to eat and grow stronger. So as it came charging me I ducked and it hit the sit of a large rock cracking its skull and stunning it. I took the chance to pick up and slam it on its head load its heart full of silver shotgun shells and then poured liquid wolfsbane into its opening chest cavity i thought this thing smelled bad when it was alive but when it died few this thing smelled terrible i made a large fire and burned what was left that night i was pretty far into the forest so i made camp near water and started to fish i caught some pretty big fish and took care of my wounds from the previous night I even decided to take a bath. Smelling like a wendigo could attract unwanted company. Later at sunset I started to cook the fish when a rustling came from the woods before I could react a wa'ila jumped out of the brush and snarled at me. I was defenseless. This thing was ten feet on two legs and on all fours stood six feet tall. It had a large mouth and black fur with white marking on it. Its piercing yellow eyes started into my soul and then it took three of the big fish I caught and ran into the woods. Better me than the fish I thought. Of this was Wa'ila territory then I didn't want to be around here so I packed my bags out of my fire and took off for my camp at night. On my walk I heard strange noises. I heard whispers in the night and I even heard a woman scream. From above me I heard a child scream help me and then I did something I shouldn't have. I looked up and I saw it, a stick Indian. It had been following me for miles, just waiting for me to notice it. Stick Indians are seldom seen. They are almost completely nocturnal. And it is said that their language does not mimic human speech, but instead sounds like birds and other animals. They also have powers to paralyze, hypnotize, or cause insanity in hapless humans. While in others, they merely lead people astray by making eerie sounds of whistling or laughter in the woods at night. In some stories stick Indians may eat people who fall prey to them, kidnap children. They also take aggressive revenge against people who injure or disrespect them, no matter how unintentionally. This thing was tall, had long arms with big hands that ended with long claws and red eyes. It had a face like a totem pole and had a hypnotic going on with its eyes. I knew I was in trouble. I took off as fast as I could and the stick Indian was close behind me swinging in the trees branch to branch. It swung at me and got the back of my neck but I kept running. Luckily I was by my old cabin and took cover and locked the door. It was beating on the door and time was running out. I had dropped my weapons while running from this thing and had nothing to defend myself. I then remembered that I had left some silver brass knuckles in the night. Stand in the bedroom also I had found old tomahawk but it was still sharp. I took out the last of my liquid wolfsbane and coated the knuckles and the tomahawk with it. I have a slim chance of beating this thing so I decided to post this before fight night went down the door just slammed open and the locks are rolling on the floor. If I make it I'll post how I survived this fight but if I don't you'll know farewell be safe. My son disappeared under odd circumstances and he left this journal behind. My son is, was a regular here, and I'm hoping you'll be able to help me. I really don't know what else to do at this point. Allow me to explain, my son Zach was a regular here for several years judging from his post history. He spent a lot of time reading stories and submitting his own on occasion. He disappeared almost a month ago, and no one really knows what to make of it. He departed for a solo hunting trip on September 12, 2021, in an isolated area inside Grand Teton National Park wyoming that was the last time he's been seen his chevy s10 was found parked along lupine meadows road just south of jenny lake his campsite was found some five miles east of his truck his tent was torn and a lot of his supplies were ransacked by what police believe was local wildlife or possibly done by zach himself a search team scoured that area for weeks and my ex-husband and I went down to search as well. We never found any trace of him outside of his camp, and no one has an explanation for what happened to him. A lot of people believe he was dragged off by animals, but I think it may be something far stranger than that. Zach kept a handwritten journal which was found inside his knapsack in the tent. Police think he suffered some kind of mental breakdown, and I'll be the first to admit that the things he wrote about are not easily believed. Zach struggled with anxiety and depression, but as far as I or anyone is aware, he never had any conditions that could induce something like psychosis. I also wholeheartedly believe that he wouldn't kill himself as he's seen firsthand, how devastating that can be. His cousin tragically committed suicide a few years ago and Zach had the horrific duty of being the first person to find him. He's always been open with me about his struggles, and after that happened, he swore he would never put me or anyone else through that. I realize that life is hell sometimes, and there is always a chance that he went back on that promise, but I believe that he wouldn't do that. I think something happened to him, something that none of us yet understand. Authorities have called off the search now, and Zack's disappearance remains an unsolved case. I don't know where else to turn at this point, but since Zack spent so much time on this site, I thought it only appropriate to share what he wrote in his journal. I think it's what he would've wanted, but I cannot verify any of its content. Maybe someone out there can connect the dots, but if nothing else, maybe Zack's journal can entertain you all one last time. I like to think it's what he would've wanted. Entry 1. Finally, it's here, and not a goddamn moment too soon. I swear to God if I had to hear Jennifer ask me to stay late for another PM order, I would have poo on her desk at the next budget meeting. I've been looking forward to this trip for months, and my therapist suggested keeping this cute little journal to document my trip. They keep saying I have anger issues, but they really wouldn't be so much of an issue if people weren't so stupid. But whatever, time to forget about all that for a few days. Hopefully I'll be able to look back on this in the future rather than fantasizing about jumping in the trash compactor during another work week. Ben was supposed to be with me on this trip, but of course he got wrangled into dealing with his kid instead. Yet another reason I'm glad to be single. I'll be out snagging myself a trophy buck while he's at home changing diapers. His loss, I guess. Anyways, I don't even know why I started writing this now, I'm not even there yet. Probably got at least another 5 hours to go, and I give it 2 max until that Carl's Jr. burger is knocking at the back door. Here's to finally getting away for a bit, and hopefully being able to relax. Entry 2. Well, I think I finally managed to find myself a good spot. It's a nice little place too, Flops Lake. I think they call it kind of a weird name, but it's a serene little spot. Sun's just going down now, and I got my tent all set up. Nothing to do now, but puff on this cigar and drink a couple beers. My buddy Tim says this place is an excellent area to get some deer. He pointed me to a spot about 5 miles northeast, and claims it's where he got the 10-point rack over his fireplace mantle. Tomorrow I'm gonna start my hike in that direction and see what happens. Wish me luck. Entry 3. I officially hate ducks, not that I ever really was a huge fan of them to begin with, but now our relationship is truly unsalvageable. 2 AM and I'm trying to get some sleep when all I hear is a ruckus of quacks coming from the lake. Don't those feathery bastards ever sleep? I tried ignoring it, but the noise was like nails on the chalkboard of my brain. Something about it just really irked me, and I couldn't blot it out. After like five minutes of the onslaught, I finally stepped outside the tent. The moon beamed a pearly glow down from the heavens. Reflecting off the surface of the lake like one giant effervescent mirror. In the misty early morning haze, I just managed to see the little silhouettes of the flock of flagrant fowl happily putting across the lake. I looked to my side, planning to grab a rock and lob it in their general direction in hopes of scaring them off. I paused when something caught my eye. On top of my stovetop something sat. Its long neck shimmered in the dew. And its beady little black eyes stared back contemptuously, as if challenging me to a duel. Quack! The nerve of this guy. Comes right up into my camp while his belligerent flock are out cavorting around the lake and sits right on my damn stove top? Damn birds got balls of steel, I'll give him that. Quack! Duck soup started sounding like an excellent breakfast then. I slowly crept back to my tent, retrieving the nine millimeters from my bag. I drew it out, but before I could take aim, the bird suddenly took flight. I heard it flap and quack defiantly as it soared back to join the rest of the water chickens. Guess his balls ain't so big after all. By that point, I knew sleep was no longer an option, and I would be up for dawn in an hour or two anyways. So I decided to just brew some coffee and start the day sun's about to rise now, so I should probably get moving. Entry 4 Well, I made pretty good time today. I got blisters on my feet, sores on my shoulders and my coveralls are filthy. Took a gnarly faceplant in the mud as I was crossing the creek, but no worse for the wear. My 308 got a little drenched, but it'll dry out. I hope. The important thing is that I think i found the spot that Tim told me about. The trail crests right on top of this hill, leaving a wide open grove down in front of me. The field stretches for at least a couple hundred yards, and the hill gives me the perfect vantage point. It's a beautiful spot, now if I can just get some bucks to show up, I'll be in business. I thought this spot was absolutely perfect. But not long after I arrived some old friends came and found me. I heard the commotion of quacks long before I saw them, and sure enough the flock landed right in the field down beyond the hill. Little feathery bastards just out there quacking up a storm now like they own the damn place. This may sound crazy, but I swear one of them is staring at me. It looks like the others, brown and white with a green head but this one has a black strip running down its left side. Its beady little black eyes don't even seem to blink. I swear it's the same exact one that landed on my stovetop earlier this morning. Hopefully they just leave before morning, otherwise this deer hunt is gonna quickly turn into a duck hunt. Can't risk them spooking the real prize. Entry 5. Damn it, I feel like such an idiot. But at the same time it's kind of hilarious, I won't lie. So last night I ate some dinner and then crawled into my tent to get some shut-eye. Fell asleep for a while, but partway through the night I randomly woke up. I checked my phone, and realized I could sleep a bit longer. I was on the verge of doing just that when I heard something outside my tent. It sounded like the slight pitter-patter of footsteps. I tried telling myself it was just normal forest ambience, but it kept going. I started to grow nervous, and was about to reach for my gun when something suddenly struck my tent. The tent rippled from the impact, and something fluttered away into the distance. I was on the verge of pissing myself and turning the tent into Swiss cheese with my 9mm, when suddenly I heard something familiar. quack. A wave of conflicting emotions rolled over me, confusion, shock, anger, disbelief, but one then circumvented them all. Comedy. All I could do was laugh at that point. I mean I could have ran outside and unloaded my clip on that damn goose, but that definitely would have scared off the deer. I'm willing to bet it's that same exact one that tried staring me down earlier too. Whatever. I'm going back to bed now. Entry 6. Today started out great. Woke up just before the break of dawn and got to my prime spot on the top of the hill. The sunset crested over the valley about half an hour later, and I was finally where I always want to be. Cracked a beer and saluted the early morning sun considering it was already 5 o'clock, AM that is, but whatever. A bit of booze always helps steady my hand anyways. Sat out there until well past noon, keeping myself occupied with a steady diet of beef jerky sunflower seeds and miller light. That's when I saw the grass rustling on the far end of the prairie. I slumped down and clutched my rifle, staring out as several figures stepped out from the trees. I counted three dozen five fawns that slowly sauntered out from the thicket. They began grazing on the far side of the pasture about 200 yards from my position. I prayed for a buck to be leading their herd, and hunkered down as I watched. They grazed for a solid three hours, but the buck never showed. One of the mothers then suddenly drooped her ears, and the entire herd suddenly dashed back into the woods. I guess something spooked em, and that pretty much marked the end of my day. I got back down to my camp and prepared to cook myself a nice hearty chili and drown my frustrations in Jack Daniels. Only problem was I couldn't find my stovetop anywhere. I spent at least an hour looking for it, but it's just not here. I don't get it. I used it earlier this morning to cook breakfast. I'm too tired to worry about it at this point. It's getting dark and I'm exhausted. At least if I can't go to bed on a full belly, I can knock myself out with some liquor. Entry 7. Okay so I'm trying not to freak out here. I know I'm probably just being ridiculous but, I really just can't seem to calm myself down. That bird won't leave me alone. I didn't sleep at all last night. Every time I felt I was getting close I'd hear that familiar loathsome quack. It was like that damn bird knew when I was about to finally fall asleep and interrupted it just to piss me off. I finally grabbed my pistol and stomped out of my tent, but I didn't see it anywhere. Things haven't gotten much better since then. When dawn finally broke, I decided to abandon any notion of sleep altogether. I hobbled out of the tent and kindled a fire to brew myself some coffee. That's when I first noticed it. Now, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I'm damn close. I'd swear my tent had moved about 10 feet away from where I had set it up. It was staked down and on flat ground so it didn't slide downhill or something. Not to mention the fact that I had literally been awake the entire night and hadn't felt it move. Part of me thinks I'm just crazy, but another, even louder part says I'm not. I don't understand but as of right now I'm gonna just chalk it up to exhaustion and me not remembering properly which has been known to happen. Got 3 more days out here before I gotta start heading back, but I'm not even gonna try and get a buck today. My head is throbbing, and I keep nodding my head as I'm trying to write this. I really need a nap. Entry 8. Someone is out here messing with me, I'm almost sure of it now. It would honestly explain a lot of what's been happening. The missing stovetop, the move tent. I don't know how they're doing it, but I'm damn near positive that all of this is more than coincidence. Shortly after my last entry I passed out in my camping chair by the fire. Some hours later I woke up engulfed by the caustic smoke of smoldering ashes. I broke into a fit of coughs and quickly rolled out of the line of fire. After my eyes finally stopped watering and throat stopped burning, I managed to acclimate. Quack! There he was again, only about 20 yards away from me, staring contemptuously with beady black eyes. That was the final straw. My former irritation gave way to outright rage. With my pistol at my side, I quickly whipped it out and aimed towards his silhouette. He didn't flinch and I pulled the trigger, my 9mm zinged right into that little winged demon, erupting with a plume of feathers. He fell off the log, flapping and quacking in distress before falling silent a moment later. A sense of triumph washed over me, and I jumped to my feet, relieved and proud that I had finally vanquished my harasser. I walked over to where he had fallen, and the feeling evaporated, replaced with utter confusion. The bullet appeared to have struck the creature in the lower abdomen, tearing a hole in its gut. Its intestines were dangling out of it in little coils, at least. That's what I thought they were. I moved in for a closer look, and could scarcely believe what I was seeing. It wasn't entrails hanging out, it was wires. I poked it with a stick and saw all manner of LEDs and circuits within. The duck which had harassed me, was a damn robot. Screw this trip. I think it's time to leave. Entry 9. Well, I'm still here. Still haven't left. It's been probably three hours since I wrote my last entry. The sun has gone down now so that's not great. Not that I'll even be able to sleep at this point. That's just what they want me to do. These last few hours have allowed me to contemplate my situation and I think I've figured it out. At least part of it. That thing I shot was obviously not a duck, and I realized it's gotta be some kind of drone. A surveillance robot designed to look just like a normal duck in order to blend in and observe. And since it is a drone, that means someone had to have built it. Drone technology has obviously advanced quite a lot in the last few years, but I had no idea it had gotten this good. The thing behaved exactly like a normal duck would have, no jerry, robotic movements or anything to give it away. Obviously, the government's got secret programs and technology out the wazoo that they never tell us about, so it could be them, but even that explanation has holes. This thing was seriously advanced, like something straight out of cyberpunk, so maybe it wasn't even built by humans at all. I know that may sound crazy, but there are a lot of stories about mysterious lights in the sky around this area. I'm not saying it's aliens, but I'm not saying it isn't either. I realize this probably isn't the smartest decision, but I'm not leaving, not yet. I need to figure out the truth. Entry 10. Okay I'm leaving, F this thing. This is some seriously creepy stuff. I've watched enough horror movies to know where this is going, and I don't plan on being probed. Unfortunately, it's night now, and there ain't no way in hell I'm walking all the way back to my truck in pitch black, especially with that thing out there. I got no choice but to wait till morning, so I might as well write out what I saw. I really hope this isn't going to be a found footage situation. So after writing my previous entry, I realized I should try and take a closer examination of that duck slash drone. I went back out to the spot where I'd shot it, but it wasn't there. It was only like 20 feet from my tent earlier, but it was just gone. Never heard any noise from that spot, and obviously, it never got up on its own as it was way too damaged. I still don't know how to explain that. I figured I might as well go out and try and scout around a bit and keep an eye out for any YouTube pranksters or other shenanigans. I got to my same spot as the previous day, and proceeded to see a whole lot of nothing. I sat there for hours, and must have still been exhausted from the previous night because at some point, I dozed off. You know that feeling you get when you take a nap, wake up and for no apparent reason are kind of panicked when you wake up? Like it takes you a moment to remember what happened and where you are? Yeah, so picture the time's like a thousand, and maybe you'll get the feeling I had when I woke up. When I woke up on that twilight hill, nothing made sense anymore. The sun hung low in the sky, painting the landscape with a scarlet tinge eclipsed in the distance by purple clouds. That familiar, and unwelcome sense of a panic attack looming then struck me. I got up and began to saunter around, as is my usual tactic of trying to ward those damn things off. It was then I realized, I had no idea where I was. It got far scarier than that though, because I for the life of me, suddenly couldn't even remember my own name. If it wasn't for my rifle beside me and wallet in my back pocket, I swear on everything I could not have told you who I was or what I was doing out there. On the brink of panic, I grabbed my supplies and trudged back down the hill, spotting my foreign campsite further down the grove. I assumed it must have been mine, although I had no conscious memory of setting it up. It was there I found this journal though, and things started coming back. After rereading the previous entries and taking some time to re-evaluate my memory, I feel as though I've stumbled upon something very strange out here paranormal even. That stupid duck, my disappearing supplies, the random apparent amnesia. Something is doing this to me. I don't know what, but I am a guinea pig in someone or something's little psychological experiment. It's dark again, but as soon as dawn breaks, I'm leaving. Entry 11. I can't leave. It's no longer an option. But don't take that to mean that I don't want to leave. I'd give just about anything at this point to escape this godforsaken grove, but whoever or whatever is doing this won't allow it. I woke up at the crack of dawn, and thankfully things seemed pretty much normal. I packed my stuff up and began walking down the trail back to my truck. Everything was going fine, until I hit a wall, and I mean that literally. I was walking along when all of a sudden my nose smacked right into something. I paused and took a step back as blood began to trickle from my nostril. I stared in disbelief because there was nothing in front of me. I put my hand out, and felt something there. Something completely invisible but unbreachable. Like some kind of force field. I struck it with my fists, kicked it, but to no avail. I then dropped all of my supplied pulled the rifle off my back and fired a shot. The bullet struck the invisible wall, shattering on impact and sending fragments flying all over. I ducked back feeling that familiar sense of panic strike again. I can't leave, I'm not allowed to leave. The only choice I had was to return to my previous campsite. I've just been sitting in my camp chair for hours now, watching the sun travel across the sky. It'll be going down soon once more, and I don't know what that means. I'm trying to think rationally, but that's easier said than done. Clearly, something wants me here. Something that is much more powerful than me. Whether it's God or aliens or government, I don't know. For all, I know that robot duck could have been the avatar of some eldritch monstrosity that enjoys watching me suffer. Whatever the reasoning behind all this, I'm here for a reason. It could be punishment, but I figure if something was trying to punish me, it would have just killed me already. I mean, if me shooting that duck thing was such an egregious sin, then surely, they would have smited me. Or is it smote? What's the plural for smite anyways? Whatever, since I can't leave, I guess the only option I have is to wait. Entry 12. I think I know what this place is now. Something one of my former co-workers once said has been echoing endlessly in my mind for hours. He was an older, Native American guy, very in tune with folklore and urban legends and whatnot. Things I once regarded as superstitious hoo-ha that I've now been forced to reconsider. He knew I was a hunter, and he once told me to beware the lonely places. He said places devoid of humans are dangerous in ways we cannot yet comprehend. Not because of predators or weather or anything like that, but because of someone forgetting they exist. I never knew what he meant by that, but after my previous bout of amnesia, I think that's what happened to me. It's got me thinking about the particle slit test, and how the results of that essentially reinforce the notion that reality is altered by observing it maybe the same is true on a larger scale as well. I won't sit here and claim to have the answers, but there's a lot we don't know about perception. It reminds me of the old question, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? I think the better question is, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to perceive it, does the tree even exist? I heard things last night, things I don't know how to explain. It started with a loud whirring sound, which to me, sounded like a helicopter. I burst out of my tent, thinking for a moment someone had come to rescue me, or at least I could flag them down. Once outside, I looked around to see if there were lights in the sky, but I saw nothing. I spent a couple minutes looking around, but there was nothing there. It sounded like it was literally right above me, but after a few minutes it just faded away entirely. I was about to return to my tent, when a sudden, immense boom thundered through the landscape. A bright orange flash illuminated the sky from somewhere in the distance. The noise was so loud I fell flat on my ass. A chorus of shouts, gunfire and roaring then emerged, going on for another few minutes. It stopped as suddenly as it began, as if someone just flipped a giant switch. The lights faded, and I was left alone in silence and darkness once more. It didn't last long, until a familiar and unwelcome noise shot chills down my spine. Quack, there he was, on top of the hill looking down at me, as if I were some peasant in his diabolic regime. The look of arrogance on his face was unmistakable those beady little obsidian eyes and the stoic beaked expression spewed the unmistakable contempt of kings and gods from eons past. It's him, it always has been. He's the one doing this to me, toying with me trying to drive me mad, but I wasn't about to submit. The two of us just stared at each other for several moments, and I tried to figure out what I should do. Since murdering him earlier didn't seem to end it, I figured I only had one option. I took a step towards him, and he didn't budge. Seconds later and I had reached him atop the grassy hill. It was like he was waiting for me to join him. I stepped beside him, and peered over the hill that overlooked my former hunting grounds, only this time, it wasn't the same. Down below us, was an alien landscape. A bleak, scorched desert with scarlet sands illuminated by the effervescence of an enormous gleaming moon above us the field was littered with debris mostly broken down machinery in various states of decay i spotted a few guns amongst the wreckage and something else the things i glimpsed in the next passing minutes are things i will not describe i will only that i was shown the secrets of reality how it works and how the natural order truly behaves. This place is not my prison. It is a nexus. It made sense then the weird helicopter noises, the force field. They weren't things that had been deliberately placed to impede me. They were boundaries, various pockets of reality, which had intersected in defined, but simultaneously convoluted ways. The human mind isn't meant to understand how it works. Our senses are not built to travel in directions beyond the third dimension, but there are those that know how. After thoroughly ingesting all the horrific and beautiful sights before me, I turned to my feathered compatriot. No longer was he a nuisance or my enemy, he was a teacher. Is it possible to learn this power? I asked, ripping the question directly from Anakin Skywalker himself. The duck turned to me and I finally understood. Quack. Entry 13. This entry didn't actually contain any words. The only thing on it was the webbed footprint of what everyone assumes was a duck. That's it, that's all he wrote. After Zach failed to return to work the following Monday, his employers contacted me asking if I had heard from him. Shortly after that, we realized no one had heard from him and the investigation began. The local park rangers organized a search team and scoured the area. My ex-husband and I flew down to join the effort as well. We found his truck, his campsite and even the grove he had written about. We did not find him however. Search dogs were able to follow his scent to the top of a small hill just beyond his campsite, but no further that's where we found the aforementioned journal lying in the dirt. As I said at the beginning, I cannot claim to speak for the authenticity of Zach's journal. If I'm honest, I don't even think I fully understand what he meant. All I really know is that my son is still missing and no one has seen him since he left for his trip. Zach, if somehow you're reading this, please come home. I wasn't going to add this part but maybe it's significant. Like I said, I cannot confirm the validity of Zach's journal, but last night as I was trying to force myself to sleep, I was awoken by a noise. I tried looking around, but I couldn't find the source of it. I'm not even 100% sure I heard it, but every once in a while, I swear I hear that sound again. Quack. Do you ever notice how many trees there are? I've heard it said there are more trees than stars in our galaxy. Amazing to think about, isn't it? That something as big as a star should be outnumbered by the trees on our planet, in our galaxy at least. That's a lot of trees and they're all very old, aren't they? So very old, older than us. Maybe somewhere out there is a tree older than the dinosaurs, buried in a mountain, somehow having survived millions of years. I know we find fossils of trees, but what if those fossils weren't dead? It's interesting to think about, that there could be a tree out there older than all of mankind's history. Do you think trees have thoughts? After, trees are alive, and every living thing has some kind of mind, an intelligence driving it. And if so, what do they think of us? I've got a fair idea of what they think about humankind. I'm a park ranger. And this is my story. It all began when we got a call none of us had been wanting to receive. A child had gone missing. This wasn't unusual. People go missing all the time in the parks. However, what made this one unusual was how it happened. Maxie Patton had been out with his mother on a picnic. At 13 years old, he was a wild and rambunctious child. And if there was one thing he loved doing more than any other, it was climbing trees. If only he'd been more of a video game kid than an outdoors kind. Perhaps all this could have been avoided. You see, it was when he was climbing a tree that he disappeared. His mother recounted everything in detail. They picked out a nice clearing on the edge of the woods, near a large clump of trees Maxie could climb on as he pleased. We set up the blanket right here. Maxie wanted to climb that big pine tree. She pointed to it. I took my eyes off him for only a moment, she sobbed, just one moment, and when I looked back, he was. Then she utterly broke down. The first thing we did was check out the tree in question. It was a pine tree, one of the tallest I'd ever seen. Clearly, it was very old. How high up was he when he vanished? I asked his mother, a little skeptical a kid could just disappear without a trace while climbing a tree. He was. Was. Halfway up. Then she continued sobbing. After that, it was obvious we weren't going to get anything else out of her. Still. I walked around the tree twice and I could clearly see the snapped branches and twigs where Maxie had climbed up. They ended at about halfway up. It was like he just stopped climbing then disappeared completely. We did a thorough search of the area first and found nothing. Well, almost nothing. See, about 50 yards from the pine tree, I found a shoe, covered in pine needles and tree sap. It was red and blue, a Nikki brand symbol on the side. It seemed to have been there for a long while, but when I bent down and picked it up, what I found inside planted the first seed of doubt that this wasn't just a case of a woman losing track of her child. There, written in black permanent marker, was a name. Maxi Patton. So how did it get here? Maxie's mother was hysterical and became even more so when i brought the shoe to her that's it that's my Maxie's shoe she grabbed it clutching it close to her chest as she wailed and wailed we had to take her away taking the shoe from her was difficult both physically and emotionally that woman held the shoe to chest like it was a baby i'll never forget how much that woman cried as she was taken away sad to say but the shoe was the only evidence we had of Maxie and where he'd gone she was escorted to the park center where she'd wait for the paramedics we know that she wanted to help but in her condition she'd only be a hindrance the moment she was out of sight however was when one of my partners spotted Maxie's blue shirt at the top of another pine tree hanging from a branch by the collar a hundred yards in the opposite direction of where we'd found a shoe. He swore up and down that the shirt hadn't been there when we'd first looked, and did so with such conviction, that none of us doubted him, even if we wanted to. We knew we had to get that shirt down somehow. It was evidence. But then again, how had the shirt gotten up there? Unlike the pine tree Maxie had disappeared from, This one had no sign of anyone having climbed on it. No broken twigs and branches slightly bent from where someone had climbed up and left the shirt. There were five of us when we went to first look for Maxie, excluding myself. We didn't think we'd need that many, because frankly, people go missing in the parks all the time. Often, they'd turn up in about a few hours. But we'd never dealt with something like this. Staring up at that shirt, covered in pine needles, I think it began to dawn on all of us that we were dealing with something we weren't trained for. We radioed for backup while trying to figure out how to get the shirt down. I volunteered to climb up. The very first branch I grabbed, however, broke in half instantly. In the process, scratching me across the hand. I cried out, looking at the gash across my palm. It wasn't deep, but the skin had been broken. Blood was already pooling in it. Groaning at the sharp pain, I clenched my hand into a fist, trying to stifle the bleeding. I glared, stunned, at the large branch which had just snapped when I touched it. My blood was already seeping down it and towards the ground, where it dripped onto the exposed roots of the pine tree below. Crap, I cried turning back around to the others while clutching my wounded hand and my still healthy one. Park rangers always carry a first-aid kit on hand, and they quickly helped me apply bandages to it, wrapping my hand in cotton. What happened? One of the other park rangers asked me, looking at the broken branch ludicrous. It just broke, I snapped back despite myself. My agitation at having been cut by the tree branch when it broke was severe, but then something else dawned on me. How had that tree branch cut me? It broke in the grip of my hand and shouldn't have been able to move in such a way as to leave a mark this painful. Inadvertently, a shiver went down my spine. I became acutely aware of how many trees were around us. Was I mistaken? Or had their number increased since i'd last checked i had to be mistaken we need to split up and find maxi another park ranger said i was thankful given it meant i didn't have to focus on the trees anymore what about the shirt another said indicating the garment at the top of the tree we'll come back for it later the first one said dismissively you know it's strange For the life of me, I cannot remember their names. See, I was still new at the time, a rookie really. I barely knew what I was doing at the time. I never saw any of the other park rangers involved in the search for Maxi Patton again. Most of the retired or transferred to a different park. But sometimes, I do wonder if we all came back from that search. We split up into three pairs, moving in a perimeter from Maxie's last known location. The pine tree. I was paired up with a man whose name escapes me. I just know he was Hispanic, and that's all I can ever remember about him. We were sent north, in case Maxie, or whatever was left of him, had somehow gotten there. The others went east and west. If we found anything, we had to radio it in and then come back. If we found a body, we had to leave it undisturbed. That was obvious, of course, but I really hoped we wouldn't find anything. Because what we'd found so far just didn't sit right with me. How did his shoe get 50 yards from his last known location? As I thought back to the moment when I had found that shoe, I began playing it over and over in my head. Something was nagging me about it. Hey, pal said my partner what i replied you ever climb trees as a kid i nodded my face was beaming as i thought back to those happy days when my partners grimaced however i blinked confused what's wrong shaking his head my partner muttered something in spanish under his breath before he answered i did too a few times But he stopped walking and turned to face me. One time, when I was climbing a tree, something happened. What? I asked, curious if this had anything to do with our current search. It was back in Mexico, before my family immigrated to the States. There was a tree in my abuelo's backyard. I climbed it every time I went over. One day, when I climbed to the very top, I was looking out over the entire land around my abuelo's house. I felt like I was king of the world. Then I saw it. Saw what? My partner didn't answer. He opened his mouth, paused, then slowly closed it, shaking his head. You wouldn't believe me. Try me, I replied. He sighed then, opened his mouth to say something. When his eyes widened so large he looked like a fish. He was looking at something behind me. Furrowing my brow, I began to turn around when he grabbed my arm in a vice-like grip. Don't, he hissed through clenched teeth. Don't look. I couldn't help myself. I wished I had taken his advice when my eyes found the blue shirt of a young boy hanging from the bottom branches of a tree with a broken branch, probably about a hundred meters away blood was dripping from it onto the roots below. My heart began beating in my chest so fast I thought it would burst. That's impossible, I muttered, then blinked. What I saw the moment my eyes opened will forever haunt me. The tree had come closer. My partner began cursing, letting go of my arm and stumbling back. He crossed himself, saying silent prayers. We have to go, he said with a shaking breath. Now, I didn't argue. Instead, I began running, my partner right next to me the whole time. I didn't dare look back once, and neither did he. All thought of finding Maxie was gone. For all intents and purposes, he might as well not exist. At that moment, all that mattered was getting away from that tree. Exhaustion caught up with us eventually, though, and we stopped, panting as we tried to catch our breath. Did that just happen? I said through my painful gasps of air, did that actually just happen? I don't know, amigo, said my partner. Did you see it move? I asked him. No, he answered, but I saw the others moving. What? Their branches and leaves were moving he answered. You heard that, right? I nodded. By this point, I was thoroughly done with everything, for lack of a better term. This was just too crazy. I was watching them for a while, he continued, wondering why they were moving with no wind about. Then? Then? What? I asked him. He looked me grimly in the eyes. I saw a boy, he said, the branches moved aside, only briefly, but I saw the body of a little boy. He couldn't have been more than 13. But, amigo, we mustn't find that body. I didn't want to ask. But curiosity got the better of me. Why? Because that thing could never be called human. Not after they're finished with it. What do you mean, finished with it? my partner didn't answer. Instead, he began praying again in a shaking voice, crossing himself over and over. What was happening to Maxie's body? I pressed, not consciously. He didn't answer me at first. Instead, he licked his lips, looking around us, eyes darting from one spot to another. When he spoke, his voice was low and shaking the same thing I saw in my abuelo's backyard when I was a child. I didn't say anything to that. I just sat on a stone, leaning backward until my partner grabbed my shoulder. Don't, he whispered, there's a tree behind you. I didn't need to look to know he was right. It was obvious anyway. We hadn't left the forest, after all. What do we do? I asked him. I kept my eyes on his face intently, because looking anywhere else meant seeing a tree. Ignore them, he answered firmly, they might leave us alone if we do. So we did. We just sat on the ground, facing each other, catching our breath. I could hear the singing of birds, the gentle flow of a stream nearby, but the only thing I could pay attention to was the sounds the trees made. The soft creaking of wood the swaying of leaves and branches on this windless day, the trees brushing against each other. Neither of us said anything, just looked at the ground to avoid the awkwardness of staring at each other's faces for who knows how long. The silence between us was marked by our tense patience. Something was going to happen, we could feel it. Even after running from that thing for God knows how long, I didn't believe we'd escaped it. It was still out there. Waiting, just like us. I've heard stories about how some hunters track their prey. They shot it first, critically wounding it, then follow the blood trail it leaves behind, waiting for it to collapse from exhaustion. Why bother letting it put up a struggle when you can wait it out? I remembered those stories when I looked at my hand. The cotton around my palm was soaked a crimson red. Why is this happening? I asked my companion. He said nothing, just stared at the ground. I've never heard of this before, I continued, my voice dull and tired. I've heard stories of Bigfoot, Mothman, even freaking dogmen in Michigan. Some people say they've seen aliens, others, goblins and fairies. And they always say they see them in the woods. Peeking around a corner, Watching them. Hiding behind something, like a rock or a. A. I couldn't say it. Because they were still all around us. Listening. But I've never heard of anyone being hunted by a tree. When I said that, I don't know why I did. I guess accepting the reality of what was happening would make it easier. It didn't. Because when my partner looked up at me suddenly, I could see it in his eyes. He was disappointed in me. I was talking in the presence of other trees. I didn't care. This was just too weird. Any rational part of my brain was long since dead, unable to deal with how bizarre this was. I wondered if my partner was going through the same thing. Then again, he claimed to have experienced this thing before. Are we sure they're trees? He said slowly, like he was talking to a child. What? I answered, and eyes narrowed. My father once told me a story. It was about a demon possessing a woman he knew as a child. He said she went stark raving mad, biting people and scratching her face. When he finished, I couldn't help but wonder if demons only possessed people. Are you saying a demon has possessed a tree and is hunting us? maybe he answered who knows i mean how do we even know if that thing was a tree looked like one to me i replied trying not to peek over my shoulder to see if it was behind me but trees don't move that fast and they don't carry around pieces of clothing they don't chase people you said you saw them with a boy's body i pointed out my partner swallowed crossing himself. I did, I did. I wish I hadn't, but I did. And let me tell you, amigo, trees aren't capable of doing what was happening to that boy. I didn't say anything. The sun broke through the leaf canopy above us, and I squinted from the glare. So did my partner. Part of me thought he made a compelling case, but another felt like there was something we were missing. Missing. That was it. When a tree falls, I said, and no one is around, what sound does it make? My partner furrowed his brow, confused. How do we know trees don't chase people down? How do we know they can't move in the blink of an eye? Or take a young boy without anyone noticing and carry away his body? What are you saying? That trees are capable of doing that? Maybe they are, I replied, maybe we aren't the first to have seen them either. You think there might be others? When you were a kid, you saw something in your grandfather's backyard, right? Something involving trees? Through the sun's glare, I could see his face going pale. Maybe you were one of the lucky few to live and tell the tale? What? He said, mouthing hanging open. When a person goes missing in the savanna, some people believe they were killed by the local wildlife. And nobody doubts that. Africa is full of dangerous beasts. I let that sink in, let my partner begin to understand what I was going to say before I finished. When a person goes missing in the forest, sometimes, people assume they were killed by the local wildlife. Mountain lions, bears, wolves. But nobody ever stops and thinks about the trees all around us because nobody ever notices them i pressed my lips together when i finished my partner looked at me in disbelief and horror dumbfounded do you have any proof he said slowly same amount of proof as you do for demons possessing trees only a theory then my partner's face brightened with a dark realization what if what if we're both wrong? I blinked. My mind began racing with possibilities. What if we were both wrong? What if this wasn't trees or demons, but something else entirely? If it was, then, what was after us? I was about to say something when I noticed it. The shadow which had fallen between us, perfectly still on the ground. Like a border keeping us apart. A long, thick black line. One with several appendages sticking outward from it. My heart skipped a beat as my eyes widened. I knew my partner saw it when he cursed, screaming and backing away. However, there was one part of the shadow which made my blood run cold. One of the appendages was broken, and from it hung the silhouette of a shirt. And, slowly, very slowly, It was getting bigger. Unable to help myself, I began following the shadow's trail to its source. Knowing full well what had made it. I could just see it in my peripheral vision, like a patient hunter waiting for its prey to roll over and die when I heard the most comforting sound in my life. The distant hum of a car speeding down the road, passing us by. I turned back to my partner, locking eyes with him. At that moment, we both had the same idea. It was our one chance of getting out of this nightmare. Neither of us knew if it would work, but we didn't have a choice because the shadow had nearly doubled in size and a tree was creaking very loudly. We ran faster than I ever have in my life before or since. We ignored everything around us, especially the silent, inescapable trees. We ran across their roots, pushed through their leaves, ducked under their branches, swerved to avoid running into their trunks. I didn't care if I touched them anymore. If I was fast enough I could get away from them. Then they wouldn't catch me. But what about that infernal creaking, always right on our heels? What would happen when it stopped? We couldn't be near it when that happened our very lives depended on it. So caught up in sprinting out of those godforsaken trees, I didn't think to look at my path. My foot hit something large and solid, and I cried out, losing my balance. My partner was in front of me, and looked over his shoulder, bewildered. He stopped and reached out his arms. I grabbed onto them and planted my foot back on the ground, pushing myself forward both of us kept running we didn't need to check what i had tripped on it was bound to happen at some point we'd been running over them for ages when we saw the gray asphalt of the road my heart leapt for joy the creaking behind us had become distant growing fainter and fainter i knew damn well we were safe the moment we reached that road and that i felt something brush against my back something I knew all too well. The hard, rigid texture of tree bark. The next thing I knew, I was laying on my back against the burning asphalt, panting as I caught my breath. My partner was bent over me, his face obscuring the sun. There were tears running down his face. I saw it touch you, he said to me, weeping, it was so close, amigo, so close. I've never seen anyone run as fast you did. We're safe now, he began murmuring, we're safe. Praise the Lord, we're safe. I didn't say anything, just grunted as I pushed myself off the asphalt. I didn't remember even setting foot on it. My body ached and my lungs demanded oxygen, which I was only too eager to provide. I looked back at the woods we'd come out of marked by broken twigs and foliage pressed into the ground was the spot we'd both burst from onto the asphalt beyond it i saw only trees and not a single blue speck anywhere i smiled relieved and stood up glancing to the other side of the road and my smile vanished when i saw the blue shirt laying on the edge of it the inside of the collar was facing me And on the white tag was a name written in black marker. Maxi Patton. I blinked, and it was gone. I didn't tell my partner. He thought we were safe. Why should I take that away from him? Instead, both of us went back to the ranger station, tired, thirsty, starving. The other pairs had already beaten us to the station. When we arrived, They'd been trying to work the radio, but stopped when they saw us come in. Nothing happened to them. They didn't find anything either. They didn't ask where we had been for the last three hours. They knew better than to do that. Nobody ever tried in the days that followed, either. We didn't tell anyone about what happened. Some things are better left forgotten. A couple of weeks later, my partner resigned. He cited intense emotional trauma as his reason. I did the same thing three months later. I didn't keep in contact with him. He didn't try to. Instead, I moved to the city, surrounded by buildings and cars in the modern world. I avoid the parks, botanical gardens, anywhere a single tree is, I stay away from it. I've always believed it was the only way to keep myself safe. I do enjoy going to a park my apartment overlooks. There are no trees there. Only grass and bushes. That is, until. I'm not sure what to do anymore. Because I had a dream last night. There was a pine tree in my apartment. And one of the lower branches is broken. I thought it was just a symptom of my trauma. Then I saw that tree in the park. And it's getting closer. I'm a wildlife ranger at America's largest blackwater swamp. Now I'm trapped here. I've been working as a wildlife officer at the Okefenokee State Park since 2010. It's a pretty great job, if I'm being honest. I've always loved nature, and being from the area the heat and humidity never bothered me. There's been some strange stuff going on lately though. The job doesn't involve a whole lot. Mostly just patrolling the swamps to make sure nobody is hunting illegally and keeping an eye out for any possible fire hazards during the summer months. Really it's just a peaceful place to be, assuming you keep plenty of bug spray on you at all times. I've been on the overnight shift for the last few weeks while the regular officer is out on paternity leave. Before he left he told me I would probably see a few weird things typical around the Florida slash Georgia line method out rednecks, kids sneaking off into the swamp to bang, and the swamp lights. The first two were typical on day shift too so I wasn't worried about that. The swamp lights threw me for a loop though. The lights are an old superstition. Supposedly it's spirits of lost souls that have died in the swamp trying to lure others to a watery death. There's a natural explanation for it though. Methane and phosphorus gas from the swamp mixes and gives off a glow. It actually looks pretty cool after the first scare it gives you. Those aren't the scariest thing that's been happening though. I was out on one of my patrols a couple of weeks ago in the big fan boat that we used to get around the areas where boardwalks haven't been built in, and I noticed something huge floating in the water not far from me. I steered over that way and focused my spotlight onto it. It was an alligator. Well, it used to be an alligator at one time. This one had been a monster, at least 15 feet long and built like truck. Looked like something that crawled out of Jurassic Park. It had been torn to shreds, gashes all along the length of its body, and the head was barely hanging on. Hey, Captain. I said into my radio, what's going on, Smith? The captain answered back into the radio. She was stationed back at the main office at the swamp entrance. We always kept at least two people on shift in case of any accidents or the rare wildlife attack. I've got a dead gator out here in section 14. I said back, I picked up a branch from nearby and started poking the corpse in the water, trying to flip it around and see if there were any other distinguishing marks probably just one of the older ones out there. Nature will sort it out. Captain answered back. Dead animals were nothing new in the swamp, especially with the amount of wildlife out here, but this was something I had never seen before. Negative, Cap. This gator is a giant, and it's been ripped apart. Ripped apart? By what? She sounded surprised, couldn't say I blamed her beats the crap out of me i said i still couldn't tell whether it had been torn apart by claws or teeth the head had been ripped though the skin was stretched and the bones were sticking out in jagged pikes i'm getting the hell out of here before it comes back though you think one of the bears might have done it old Methusel has been a bit more crotchety than usual lately Methuselah was a black bear that had been tagged in the swamp back in the late 80s. He was the oldest bear we had on record out here, and was somewhat of a local celebrity. He mostly kept to himself, and seemed to get along with most of the gators in the swamp, usually swimming along beside them most of the time. No way Methuselah could have done this, I said back into the radio. I'm heading back to the office. No head over to the cabin. If there's something big out there I don't want you out in the open at night. Head in and wait until it's light out, we'll come get you. F. I hated the old cabins. We had a few spreads out throughout the swamp because of how large it was. Mostly they were used as ranger outposts now, but they started out as little hunting cabins back in the early 1900s. They were small, and up on huge stilts to keep them out of the water, plus to make sure the black bears didn't wander into them and make a nice little home. I headed over to the nearest one, about a 20 minute ride in the boat. The whole way over I was going over what in the world could've torn that gator apart. Usually they're pretty docile. There's plenty of food for them out here, so one wouldn't have any reason to attack a bear for food. And a bear is the only thing out here big enough to have done that. The only ones out here are black bears anyway, and they're more likely to run than fight. I coasted up to the cabin and stopped the boat fan, pulling it toward the nearest stilt and tying it down. With the sound of the fan not overtaking my hearing, I started to notice just how quiet it was. Usually there were cicadas, frogs, crickets, and all kinds of other wildlife making noise all over the swamp. Now I didn't even hear the usual owls in the trees. It was like everything had run away. Once everything was tied down, I grabbed onto the ladder and started the climb up into the cabin. I pushed open the small trap door and pulled myself into the cabin. It smelled like mildew and dirt, but at least it was a safe place to sleep out of reach of any dangerous animals. I looked around the cabin until I finally found the generator in the corner. Luckily we have someone come out to these once a month and replace all the gas and make sure nothing has chewed through the wiring. I would actually have light and some air conditioning so tonight wouldn't be too bad. That's when I realized the gas canister was mostly empty. They must have forgotten to hit this one last month. I still have a supply of batteries down in the boat and we keep some small lanterns around, but it wouldn't be nearly as good as having all the lights on the cabin. I looked out the window into the swamp, there was a bright light coming from about fifty feet away. It looked too bright to be one of the swamp lights. Hey captain? I said into my radio, you got somebody coming out to me right now? You and I are the only ones out here tonight, she said back. Ain't nobody coming out there until sun comes up. More lights started to pop up near the first one. They were spaced out, but all just as bright. There's lights out there captain. I think they're moving toward me. I tried to hide the shakiness in my voice. The lights were getting closer. Just hang tight, try to get some so the radio cut out with a high pitched burst of static. Cap? Cap can you hear me? It was useless. The only thing coming through was a low buzz of static. I'm gone. I looked at my watch. It was only 11, 19 PM. I had at least eight hours before someone would be out here. The scream started a few minutes later. It sounded like a child. The screams when a kid falls and scrapes their knee and don't know what to do about it. They were anguished. They were coming from the direction of the lights. F this, I said to myself. I'm not sticking around for this crap. I grabbed a lantern and the flare gun off the wall, and pulled up the trapdoor to get onto the ladder. I practically jumped down to the boat, and started to unit it from the stilts. I reached down to the engine to pull the cord. It was gone. The pull cord had been cut off. There was no way to get the fan going. I'm stuck here. The screams grew louder, and I turned to see the lights only a few feet away. I hightailed my ass up the ladder. I could hear something ripping at the boat behind me as I closed the trap door. I heard the splinter of on of the stilts and felt the cabin sway. I've got my cell phone and my signal comes and goes. I'm going to try and keep updates going as I can. I've got every lamp in the cabin on and I'm sitting in a corner as far away from any of the windows as I can get. The screaming has stopped, but I can see the glow of the lights coming in through one of the windows. If you're reading this, send help. Part 2. According to the clock and calendar we keep in the cabin, I've been here for two days. Not that I would be able to tell, seeing as the sun hasn't come out this entire time. It's been dark since I got here that night. The only light I've seen is from those goddamn swamp lights out there, and they've been coming and going as they please. I still don't know what they are, but I know there's something else out there with them. I've been trying to sleep since I've been here, not like I have the ability to do much else. The boat is trashed, one of the stilts of the cabin is splintered, and I sure as hell can't swim out of here. I was looking out the window last night, between naps, and saw something moving between the lights that were out there. It was big, at least the size of a SUV. It around the perimeter around the cabin, walking on four legs. It wasn't a bear, I knew that. We didn't have any bears that size in the swamp. I hope to whatever gods are listening that it isn't a gator. I can't get too good of a look at it with how it's weaving in between the swamp lights, but I saw it knock over a tree on its way through. So, here we are, two days stuck in this hole of a cabin, surrounded by floating lights that scream, and whatever biological nightmare shambling around out there. I know some people asked why I didn't call the captain using my cell. You really think I didn't try that? I just get a busy signal. I've tried sending out texts and messages too, but they all just show read. I haven't gotten anything back. I really hope someone can tell the captain that I'm out here. If they ask, I'm in the section 14 to 18 cabin, out near the gator bog. Holy s! It hit me. If I'm near the gator bog, then there's a boardwalk not too far from here maybe a mile or two. That will lead me directly out to the swamp entrance and the head office. I looked around the cabin and found the map that we keep of the entire swamp with all of our trails and stations marked. Okay, I'm in sector 14, and the boardwalk is a mile and a half southwest of me. Right over the Florida border. I'm going to have to try to sneak out of here though. Maybe I can make a paddle for the boat that way I don't have to swim. I looked around the cabin, taking inventory of what I have available. There are some battery packs, a set of radios, a flare gun, and the emergency rifle with 20 rounds of ammo, plus the lantern and a couple of flashlights, with glow sticks as backup. I think there's a backup or in the fan boat, but I'll need to check to be sure. The other thing I'll have to do is distract the lights and whatever that thing is in there. I may need to use either a flare or a few of the rounds of ammo. I don't think bullets will hurt the lights though. I thought it over for a few minutes. This was going to take some trial and error before I go anywhere, and I've seen what those things out there can do to the cabin, so they could break me in half no problem. I'll load up a flare and see what that does. I have six flares total, so one shouldn't be an issue. I loaded it up, stood at the window, and took aim at the nearest light. The flare shot off, the red light almost blinding me. Before it landed I saw it pass through the light. The light changed. It had a face now, gaunt, with hollow, black eyes. Sharp teeth showed from the twisted maw almost as if it was screaming in terror. I heard a roar of anger from it, and it shot toward the cabin, howling. I pulled the shutter, trying to close the window before it got here, desperately hoping that would keep it out. It banged against the side of the cabin and I could hear claws scraping against the wood. At least I finally had an answer to their state. They were solid, so maybe bullets could hurt them. Okay. I think I'm ready. There's a small propane tank under the camp stove in the corner. I can rig that to a flare, throw it out there, and shoot it as a distraction. Then I jump down from the trapdoor, land in the boat, and row my way out of here. I'm going to wait for a while and observe. That swamp light I shot at is still howling outside. That's a sound I'm never going to forget. It's. It's like a child screaming, but warped, as if it's being put through an echo and drawn out. God, I hope I make it out of this hellhole. The radio suddenly let out a burst of static. I could hear a voice coming through. Kaysen? Kaysen are you out there? Holy s! It was the captain. Cap? Can you hear me? I'm here. I'm in the section 14 cabin, I shouted back into it. The howling outside got louder, the clawing at the wall more furious. and we searched the cabin. You weren't there. Where the hell are you? What does she mean? I've been here for two days. They had to have seen my boat down there. Look, we found your boat back near that torn up gator. Just stay where you are, we'll find you captain, I'm in the cabin. I haven't left the damn cabin, I shouted back. I was panicking now. If they couldn't find me, what hope did I have? I think leaving is my only hope. I need to get the hell out of here and at least get back to the main office. From there I can at least been a little more safe behind some block walls instead of this old rickety cabin. I have to go through with my plan. I'm writing all this into my phone and setting it up to go out automatically when I have signal again, if I don't make it, hopefully somebody can read this and find my body. I still don't know what the giant creature is out there, but I assume it's what tore up that gator the other night. I'll try and update again if I can make it out of here. God, please let me make it out of here. I climbed the stairs in the forest and still regret it. 13 years ago, I went mute and I am finally able to talk about what happened. From a young age, I was an extroverted and a stubborn girl. Although I always listened to my parents but that time, at 12 years I felt rebellious. My neighborhood held a Girl Scout camp. Every year, my parents didn't allow me to go, but this time I felt old enough, which was my first mistake. Me and Kelly, my best friend begged our parents but they refused because they are responsible adults, who cared about us. But to us, 12-year-olds they seemed like monsters. So, I made a plan. We told our parents that we are going to Katie's house for a sleepover. They talked to Katie's parents and we did stay at Katie's for approximately 12 minutes and then we left for our epic camping trip. Kelly decided on the place, Ludenburg Woods and that was our second mistake. Kelly and I have been best friends ever since we were little. Recently it was her birthday and I gifted her a unicorn bracelet which she never took off. Our neighborhood is surrounded by woods. The Girl Scout camp took place in the eastern part of Westeria Forest. So we were quite far away. We didn't really have any camping gear just. Two pillows, a blanket, a small Barbie tent, a flashlight, and some snacks enough for a day. We rode our cycles from Katie's to the woods. At first, everything seemed nice. We heard birds chirping and cars go by. The weather was nice and warm. We saw squirrels and rabbits jumping around. But as we went on, the forest grew thicker. We were tired of running around so we sat under a dark shaded tree, we ate our snacks and I tried to scare Kelly but what will happen next terrifies me to the core. As we started walking down the wrecked trail again, we couldn't hear or see any animals. The only sounds we could hear were of the rustling of the leaves. There was an eerie presence in the woods. I felt uncomfortable and suffocated. And then, there was a sudden cloudburst. It felt like the whole woods were closing in on us. An ominous feeling wrapped around me. The trees looked like tall intimidating creatures. The peal of thunder startled us and both of us ran for shelter. In a state of panic, I realized that Kelly was missing. Fog surrounded me so I couldn't see anything but I could feel she wasn't here. After I calmed down, I investigated my surroundings and scouted for Kelly. As I said before where I live was quite warm but here it felt like it dropped about ten degrees. Anyway, while walking down the path I noticed something. It was iron? As far as I know, that wasn't natural, why would there be human-made stuff so deep in the forest? I walked closer to it and in betwixt of the fog I saw an iron staircase. It seemed new, polished, and untouched by nature almost as though time had stopped for it. It seemed like someone had cut the stairs from a house and put them here. I was so mesmerized by them that it didn't even register to me that all the sounds were blocked off. At this point, I could hear nothing but my own breathe. Looking at the stairs, I felt an unexplained morbid feeling to climb up them. At that time, I felt like it was a must to climb. I had no choice. So I did. I started climbing them. With each step, I felt disconnected from reality. Nothing mattered. Eventually, I couldn't even hear my own breathe or was I not breathing? You may think that creepy sounds and screams are scary but no, silence, dead silence is the most terrifying thing that could destroy a person. This type of silence will make your skin crawl and make you want to rip your ears out. There was only the final step left between me and whatever lies beyond. The last thing that I could recollect was feeling a push. That's it. I fell and lost consciousness. When I woke up, it was still pouring even heavier than before. After I made sense of what was happening, I felt like being watched. Then I heard my name, Rebecca, in a low distorted voice. It didn't sound human. I got up and looked around and saw the thing that haunts my dreams. Every last thread of hope was shredded by this deep despair. What I saw was a thing, so horrifying that I can't even begin to describe it. It was tall and had two dark holes for eyes, a huge distorted grin which stretched from one side to the other. It had huge limbs with sharp claws covered with disgusting blood. I was petrified looking at it. It continued to say my name in a now childlike voice. It began to walk towards me repeating my name in the same disturbing voice. In a state of panic, I searched for a weapon and my eyes landed on a piece of wood. Without thinking I swung the piece of wood, hitting it until it was a bloody mess. After I realized what I had done, I ran away. I kept running and running. In my attempt at escaping that demon, I barely noticed the sounds of the woods. Panting and gasping for air I finally made it out and dashed to my home away from the deathly forest. I broke in and started crying hysterically. Kelly's parents, the Adams were also there talking with my parents. All of them shared the look of despair on their faces. There were cookies on the coffee table which were untouched. My once sugar-loving parents were now anxiously making phone calls. My angsty teenage brother was actually out of his room and nervously listening to the conversation. Kelly's mom, Mrs. Adams, who once was a fashion diva and always wore makeup, was rough and sobbing and even Mr. Adams, the most cheerful person I knew, was on the verge of tears. When their eyes met mine they were completely taken aback. Mom threw everything including the expensive new cell phone and ran towards me. They hugged me so tightly that it was hard to breathe. All my anxiety faded away when my mom brushed the dirt off my face. For a second everything was roses and butterflies until I saw the look on Mr. and Mrs. Adams' faces. I could feel hope blossoming in their hearts. Their hope was like a beautiful stained glass window, which was shattered by the despairing news of the absence of their daughter. When they questioned me about Kelly my silence gave them the answer. I could see the color drain out of their faces. The forest rangers searched the entire forest until they came across a battered mess which DNA confirmed to be Kelly. It seemed she was beaten repeatedly with a blunt object. She seemed like an unrecognized pile of flesh. Kelly who once was a high spirited girl. Obsessed with unicorns and nature was now a part of the soil. We identified her because of the bracelet I gifted her which was also covered with blood. Nearby they found a piece of wood covered with the blood of Kelly, which was likely the murder weapon. There was no trace of fingerprints, footprints, or any other evidence due to the torrential rain, giving an upper hand to the culprit. Now even after 13 years, they couldn't identify the perpetrator of this crime. I've told this traumatic tale to many, but there's one detail I always fail to mention. After hitting the monster, my eyes laid upon the lifeless body of my best friend, Kelly Adams. I'm the son of an army ranger. I'm also the army's greatest mistake. I always had a good relationship with my father. He was an army veteran, and I would love it when he recounted war stories about his time in the jungles of Vietnam or the deserts of Kuwait. He would always tell me one before bed, about his time as an army ranger, when he led his team to liberate villages, negotiate hostages, and crush rival troops. He was my hero. When I grew older, I already knew that I wanted to go into the army. I ate to fight terror and be as much of a hero as my dad was. I had trained for years to be in pristine shape when I turned 18. I put in all the effort my dad did to achieve his level of prominence. Night blindness. The inability to see in dim light or at night. So I couldn't see as well in the dark, I was ready. But the army decided that I wasn't and with that my lifelong dream along with the work i put into it was crushed i was just about to walk out the door when i felt a tap on my soldier i spun around to find an army ranger standing in front of me the ranger looked down on me an impressive feat for a six feet seven inches guy like myself he had a solid but weathered face and a graying five o'clock shadow showing to be the only visible hair on his head. He had to be in his late fifties to early sixties, but his eyes showed otherwise. A hawk's eyes burned holes into my own as I stared up at the man. Could you come back with me, mister? The ranger stopped for a second to check the forms I had filled out at the start of the examination, before barking out, Ferguson. I followed him to one of the back rooms of the facility, where I sat facing him and a young Asian man in a white lab coat labeled Dr. Andrew Lee. The doctor stared at me and spoke, so Mr. Ferguson, Walter is fine, I interjected. He looked at me almost non-amused and repeated, so Walter, we see that you are in pristine shape to serve our military, however, it appears that you suffer from extreme nyctilopia, which forced us to not be able to accept you into the nation's military. There is, however, another option. I looked at him, now intrigued. What is it? Dr. Lee answered, the army is looking for ways to helpfully increase the performance of soldiers. You would make for the perfect test subject. Would you be willing to join it? For a second, I hesitated. I thought that maybe I shouldn't do this that I should just walk out of this building, become an engineer, get married, and forget about being in the army. But my father's face flashed into my mind, and I knew that there was only one answer. Of course sir, it would be another three months before I was flown out to an undisclosed military base in the middle of the wilderness. I know that said base in the US, but I could not begin to tell you which state it was in. As soon as we arrived, I was strapped to a gurney and wheeled to a room that looked exactly like any other hospital room, minus a window. Understand that by hospital room, I mean horror movie hospital room. The ones where the light is always on, yet it always seems too dark. Where the white walls always seem gray and the room's door doubled as a heavy-duty locking system. It was safe to say that I was immediately regretting my decision. As the door was locked behind us, Dr. Lee reached into his medical card and revealed a syringe filled with, from what I can guess, 1000 milliliters of a clear liquid. As I strained my eyes to look at it, I noticed the word "Prodigy 3" written on the side of it. The doctor inserted the needle into the crook of my left arm before unstrapping me and leaving. Everything felt fine at first. But my body started aching about half an hour after I was administered the drug. It honestly felt like my body was fighting a war on itself. It felt foreign, yet it felt natural at the same time. My arms felt too long but too short. My legs felt like they were growing stronger than ever, but they are feeling as weak as cooked pasta at the same time. My entire body just felt right and wrong in every way possible. That is the only thing that can give justice to what I experienced. After I was given a meal, I prayed. My dad was not only an army veteran, but he was also a deeply devoted Christian. My faith is another part of him that rubbed off on me. That night I prayed for the sick and the elderly, but I prayed for answers too answers to this experiment. For example, what was the point? What was happening to me? Why? No answers came. The same thing happened the next day. Wake up, get injected with Prodigy 3, eat, relax, pray, fall asleep. My schedule may have been common, but the side effects of the medication were not. All that was happening to me was that I was getting taller and stronger, but it just felt wrong. I understand that my body was changing, but it wasn't changing the way it felt like it was changing. The way it felt, it was horrendous, like my molecules were individually splitting apart. I have no idea how long passed before the cut. It seemed like a normal day until I noticed that the medical cart was bulkier than I remembered. I watched him reach on the cart and pull out a wolf's skull and a knife. I was suddenly afraid. I thrashed in the restraints as he moved the knife closer to my head. I passed out right before the knife touched me. I woke up alone. The only comfort I had was my dinner. I raised the Navy bean soup to my lips to notice that they're further forward than normal. I lifted the metal spoon to my face. Something unnatural stared back at me. It had a lupine snout with skin stretched over its elongated maw and a pair of 16 point antlers sticking out of its head. It looked terrifying, but one factor made it much more horrifying than the monster itself. That monster was me. It was then that I prayed harder than I had ever prayed. I asked God, why? Why do I suffer while sinners are relieved? Why is this the path I am told to take? Why does humanity see me as the monster instead of the monster wearing a white lab coat? I was lamenting in my thoughts when the lights went out. A couple of subjects from a neighboring plant, three teenage boys named Erebus, A, and Sledog, had escaped and cut power to their facility and the surrounding facilities. With this, all doors were unlocked. As soon as I realized this, I burst through the now open door. I ran blindly, due to night blindness, trying to escape. I somehow reached the front doors and fled, not knowing where I was going until bright lights shone ahead of me. The van stopped as soon as I scrambled out onto the road. That moment was one of the most terrifying moments in my life. I thought they'd turn tail and start running, sliding so wildly that they slam into a tree. Instead. A young boy with wavy, dirty blonde hair and an almost square face walked out of the back. Despite the urgency that could be noticed on his face, he seemed confident. Which was surprising, acknowledging my freakish face and the fact that he was barely scraping six feet tall. Come on, he says in a deep voice. I can only stand in shock that he'd talk to me. We can help you, just get in the back, he yelled back at me. That was all it took for me to clamber into the back of the truck. First off, can you talk? The boy asked inquisitively. I answered a curt, yes, in reply. Next, do you have a name? In which I again tersely responded, Walter. The feelings that were suppressed for however long came flooding out. I tried to stop it but I could still feel tears leaking out of my fiendish eyes. The boy asked me if I was all right, in which I laid every bit of information I knew upon him. My rejection from the army, my flight out here, the laborious months, prodigy three, the cut, everything. He looked at me sympathetically, taking notes and absorbing information. Proverbs 12, 10 inches are the only words that the boy said after everything. What? I answered bewildered proverbs twelve, ten. whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast but the mercy of the wicked is cruel in god's eyes you're no more an outcast than the football quarterback or a common housefly and there will always be those that see it you may never return to normal but you are as much of a person as anyone else in our care you just need to learn to see that the boy stated I looked at that kid, and I felt a sense of relief wash over me. The truck slowed to a stop, and I could only assume that we reached our destination. The boy went to exit the back but I hurriedly called out, wait, what is your name? He turned back to me and replied, my name is Nick, but everyone here calls me Nightwalker. With that, he jumped out of the van and made his way towards some unseen destination. I stepped out and gazed up at the night sky for the first time in what seemed like eons. I stared up at the heavens and asked for forgiveness for my rage earlier. I then turned around and walked towards the large white fortress. I am the son of an army ranger. I am the army's greatest mistake. But I am not a monster, as there are no monsters in God's eyes. Thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe for daily stories. We at Horror Den of Misfits really enjoy this, and your support would be appreciated.